Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your home for everything real estate, uh, law, tax, uh, everything you need for real estate investor. We're your one-stop shop. Um, check it out and get the high quality information we got over here at Royal Legal Solutions. I'm here today with uh, a good friend of mine, Jason. Um, we are going to be talking today about something that's a little bit off the uh, beaten path. Um, Jason's a super experienced real estate investor. Um, he's involved in thousands and thousands of transactions, which means he's been um, part and parcel to a number of lawsuits because that's the nature of the game. We all know that you know, over a 20-year period as a real estate investor, you have a 95% chance of being in a lawsuit. If you're doing a ton of deals, these are going to spring up more often you guys. It's just part of the way the business runs. Um, but today, what we're going to be doing is a little different than our normal best deal, worst deal thing. Um, what, uh, what we're going to give you guys today is a, what an insider conversation looks like um, really between an attorney and a really seasoned investor pro. Um, so Jason and I are going to actually be talking um, a lot about the series LLC, a lot of the pieces that we do that makes us different for Royal Legal Solutions and how those products work um, and why they're advantageous and really exploring the nitty gritty um, of all of that. And I think this is going to be really neat because you guys are actually going to see like what is it really like at a high level of um, professionals talking to each other. So that way, you know, if you haven't ever had that experience before, you'll know, you know, kind of what the, the touch and feel of that is. And hopefully we don't get uh, sucked too far in the weeds that everybody's like, what the heck are you guys talking about? Um, but, uh, but as always guys, if you have any questions about um, what anything we're talking about today or why was such and such thing important, hit us up on our Facebook page um, or, you know, contact us through the website, whatever, uh, whatever way is easiest for you and start blowing us up with uh, the questions that you have. We're all about educating everybody as best we can. So Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Um, and just for everybody that doesn't know you, um, can you give us a, a quick background of what people you think need to know about you to get some context for the type of information we're going to be talking about today? Sure, sure. Uh, thanks, Scott. Um, I'm a real estate investor. I've been real estate investing since I was 19 years old. I started in my first year of college uh, in, in the real estate business. And uh, I would venture to say I may well be the most experienced person in my niche. I'm going to, I'm going to claim that, see if anybody disputes it. But uh, the reason I say that is because over, over the course of three decades, uh, I've been involved in almost 10,000 real estate deals now between myself and my companies, uh, you know, properties I've purchased, properties I've brokered, properties my companies have brokered and purchased. So a uh, lot of experience. Uh, and um, interestingly, uh, we, you know, as we talk about litigation and asset protection, um, I, you know, it, the liability doesn't come from where you think it's going to come from a lot of times. It really has, has kind of surprised me. I thought uh, years ago, uh, before I had any experience with litigation, I thought, well, you know, uh, you could get sued by your tenant or you'll get sued by a customer. Well, I've never been sued by a customer or a tenant. Um, it's more uh, litigation uh, that I've initiated sometimes uh, where, you know, we've had to sue a, 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 a rep that worked for us that stole our client list and started soliciting our customers or a, uh, an investment uh, that I went in on and it turned bad. Uh, those kinds of things. 
decisions. And you might think that in litigation, uh, you know, if you're the plaintiff, that you don't have liability, but that is quite wrong. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lesson a lot of people uh, will learn in the process because the plaintiff can become liable for the other side's legal fees and, uh, and for uh, various penalties. Uh, if the case doesn't go well, if your lawyer doesn't perform, what, what, what's amazed me and shocked me about it, and you know, you're a lawyer, so you, you know how this game works, but I, I sure didn't. Um, when your lawyer doesn't do their job, you can get in trouble. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much uh, liability a bad lawyer can create for you. So there's a lot more liability hanging out there in the ether than probably anybody listening realizes. Uh, and, and that's been uh, surprising to me. So it makes, it makes it important to plan and to uh, do things in advance of problems. That's the key. You know, uh, a lot of technique that you and other uh, people in your field uh, teach uh, can be very helpful but you got to do them in advance. You know, uh, my, my late grandmother uh, always used to say those uh, old sayings, you know, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's what uh, this conversation will be about and hopefully will, will help some people get prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have it as our tagline of the motto as a company is that the law favors the proactive. Mm, yeah, look at it time and time again, it's like that's where it really is, is that the people that can take the proactive steps to set themselves up ahead of time are the ones that are able to use the law to their maximum advantage, right? Like you can't shelter assets after you're even threatened with a lawsuit, even a letter for somebody saying, hey, I think you did me wrong is enough to trigger it to say that all of your um, dealings essentially can be frozen. Uh, and any transfer you do after that's a fraudulent transfer. Anything you do ahead of time, you can transfer it offshore, you can structure it through LLCs, you can do whatever you want to and, and have all this amazing protection um, put in place for you. Um, so I wanted to go through um, Jason and, and just kind of um, tell you a little bit about, you know, what it is that we're doing with a series LLC structure. I, I can't wait to learn more about that. Yeah, that's 100 uh, percent what it is, right? The major advantages that you get with that series LLC is instead of having to set up, um, you know, individual LLCs and pay to set each one of those up and then also have to pay for all the maintenance for all those individual LLCs. You can create one company called a, a series LLC and refer to that typically as a parent that can have as many individual children um, as at once. And each one of these sh uh, children act as if they were an LLC for all intents and purposes. They can, um, they're they're treated just like, like LLCs by the courts for liability purposes. They can have their own EIN numbers, their own operating agreements. The beautiful part is, is that they cost nothing to create and nothing to maintain. So you can form up a company structure using the series LLC, Jason, that allows you to uh, be able to uh, have one bank account with one set of accounting records um, and an infinitely scalable number of these sub-child series, each holding one asset uh, for maximum protection without complicating um, any other points of your, of your life. Um, so it's really designed in, in that way that really makes a lot of sense for real estate investors above anybody else is because each individual asset has in itself inherent liability and should be compartmentalized. But up till now, it, be, it was really expensive to do it that way. So most people said, eh, I'll just hold them all in one LLC and hope that's enough. And, and now with the series LLC that's been around for about 20 years or so, um, you don't have to take on that risk. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really simple to take it and say, well, I, I can offer myself maximum protections without increasing my costs or increasing the complexity of my operations or any of that. Okay. okay, so what? first of all, you know, when it comes to setting up these entities, there are many different states and, you know, jurisdictions you can set them up in, right? Uh, so 
what states allow the series LLC? Not all of them, right? Yeah, you not all of them. There's only about 12 of them where you can set it up. Um, I prefer to set it up in Delaware, Texas, or Nevada, because those have the strongest asset protection laws. Um, Wyoming is also on the list for the strongest asset protection laws in the country, but they don't have a series LLC yet. They're, they're trying to still pass the statutes to get it. But just like people use Delaware LLCs, um, you know, form them in Delaware and use them anywhere else in the United States, you can do the same thing with a series LLC because a series LLC is just an LLC with a caveat. So you can form it in Texas, for example, and use it, you know, anywhere else, you know, just the same. Okay. Now, do all series LLCs have the same number of compartments, if you will, uh, or do they vary by state? Yeah, all of them have um, the same number of compartments, which is infinite. There's actually no limit to the number of child oh, series. Oh, I, I, I thought they had like 12 or 16 or some number like that. So it's just infinite? Yeah, infinite. As many as you want. And you can create them all on your own desktop just by merely changing the form and signing it. And now you've legally created a child series. There's no filing fees for it or anything. You prove its existence merely by producing the document, just like you would like a trust document that are private documents. Okay. Um, so like that. so that's, that's really interesting. So do you need separate bank accounts for each, uh, I guess you call it child in the series, right? Yeah, for each individual child, um, I've seen a lot of guys online write about that. that they'll say, hey, you, you should do individual bank accounts for it. What they're really trying to get at with that question is saying, um, you know, we need to make sure that you're not doing something that's called legal commingling. So where we, we, that's one way of looking at it, say, hey, let's have individual bank accounts um, to be able to prevent legal commingling, um, which merges all of your companies together. You don't want to have that happen to you. Uh, the approach that I take is say, no, 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 let's actually do something that's going to um, be better for the court and have better evidence where we're going to channel all of the income into one bank account, but we're going to have our accounting records like our QuickBooks or Excel spreadsheets tag the income for each individual company to show that we're keeping track of which money belongs to this entity because that's what legal commingling is about. That's the question that's prevent presented in front of the court. And what's even better than saying a bank account, which... I don't know if how many investors you've worked with on their bookkeeping, but typically people are really not that great with banking. Like they mess it up all the time, right? With how much money they're transferring where, and it becomes really complicated and keeping track of all of the records around that. So a better way to do it is to say, let's just channel all of the money into one bank account. Let's not worry about separate bank accounts, but we'll have accurate bookkeeping for everything that we're doing. And that establishes all the compartmentalization for the finance piece of it. And if you think about it, it's the same thing that property managers do, right? If I sue a property manager, I can't take, you know, the $2 million that they have in their bank account. Even though I assume I say, hey, that's your money. I want to take it. And they say, no, 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 it's not mine. Actually, all of this money really belongs to all these other people. And the way I can prove it to you is that I have this ledger, my accounting records that show that all the money belongs to, you know, belongs to all of my different clients, right? And the same scenario, that's, um, that's the same thing that we're applying here in the series LLC structure to be able to say, yeah, the a bank account doesn't necessarily show you who the owner is of the money, actually, the accounting records do. And that's the best evidence that the court can possibly have. It's the most detailed evidence and the most thorough evidence uh, to be able to to make that determination. And okay, then, now, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that, that that's really what we're looking for in that context is like, what is the best possible evidence we can do? Let's focus on those few things that are really central and key, um, instead of trying to keep track of like a 1000 balls in the air all at the same time.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to tell you, you know, when we have investors, I mean, uh, one of my companies uh, helps, uh, has helped thousands of people over the years invest in uh, good, solid, prudent, simple rental properties nationwide. And a lot of them, uh, and, you know, this may be counter to your mission, so forgive me in advance, okay? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah. But, but a lot of them come to me and they, they're always asking these questions and look, I'm not a lawyer. I can't, you know, I can't answer these questions except for just, I can talk about my personal experience, right? And they, they always seem like they're putting, as the old saying goes, the cart before the horse, right? They're all worried about all this asset protection stuff. And it's like, well, just get some investments going and get good insurance to protect you. Um, and what they don't understand is the concept of the internal and the external threat. Okay, and I'd like to ask you about that. Um, but, but also, I just want to point out, I mean, this stuff becomes really complicated. <laughs> you may think it's simple. And as my life has become more complex over the years, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like the first half of my career, I spent creating wealth, okay? And I created a lot of wealth for myself and, you know, was quite successful. And now it seems like I spend all my time managing it. And it, it's just, it's a lot of work, a lot of attention needed to manage all these different entities and uh, the, the banking, all these separate bank accounts. I mean, banking has become incredibly difficult uh, since the Patriot Act and so forth. And, you know, the banks, they can't do a lot of stuff for you that they used to do. You know, they're just like yesterday, I was trying to get uh, one of my banks to email me some statements. Now we can't do that. They, you know, they just can't do anything anymore. It's, it's amazing how cumbersome things have become. Do, do you have a personal banker, Jason? That you well, it, 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 uh, two of my banks have a personal banker and at one, they don't even have personal bankers. So, okay. <laughs> so one there. And, and, you know, if you have big balances, you get, you know, you get some attention uh, and, uh, and that's great. But, um, you know, the whole thing of, of managing these entities is complicated. And I, I think the series LLC can make it simpler. And that's why I'm really anxious to learn more about this. But when you look from at different states, and we talked about this a couple of days ago, Scott, some states require you to file a report every year, to pay a fee every year, and other states are what they call perpetual, right? So um, is there a series LLC state that is perpetual where you don't have to do anything, you don't have to pay them every year, you don't have to file a report every year? Uh, is that true in Texas? Yeah, that's why um, I prefer to use Texas, even though I can form these up anywhere. We use Texas because Texas doesn't have any yearly fees and there's only a simple franchise tax, no tax due filing you have to do each year. Um, that, so you do uh, have to file, but you don't have to pay a fee. Yeah, right. You won't own any taxes unless you make over a million dollars in income which is pretty um, irregular for our clientele mm -hmm. because most people are, are generating passive income or flipping. Most people aren't making more than a million dollars a year through their real estate um, okay. doing that. But then the taxes are super low, but you can also just chop it up into multiple entities to be able to skirt franchise taxes anyway. Um, but, uh, but that's one of the, the great pieces of doing it. And I think that's really what um, separates out what we're trying to do, Jason, then from other companies is because well, we're, we handle all of that as part of what we do in-house for all of our clients. So mm -hmm. whenever anybody comes in to become a member of the firm, uh, what we tell them is that you just get to focus on making investments and doing your bookkeeping 
and then we take care of everything else for you. So we'll make sure that all of the company pieces are maintained every year. If there's any changes to the law, we file all the franchise taxes for them. Everything how, is- much do you, how much do you charge for that? that that's called maintenance, right? Annual yeah. maintenance. Okay, what yeah, do you so charge for that? We combine our um, maintenance, our corporate compliance with um, all of our um, ongoing legal support that we have for like pick us up the phone, call us, get answers to your questions that you need at no additional charge. We only charge $49 a month for it. Oh, per, like, per month. Per okay. month. Yeah. It's like six, a monthly piece. So okay. It's about so 600 a year. 600 a year. So 600 a year is expensive for one entity, but will you cover multiple entities for that? Right. How do you- yeah. We, we cover all of the entities. So okay. for everybody. And then the, that's probably too expensive if it was just doing maintenance. Right. So what we found though, is that for most investors, what really happens is um, they, they want to offload all of the, um, all of the maintenance because that's annoying paperwork that you have to try to keep track of every year and essentially becomes like an extra to do that you have to remember. And most people don't want to even do that. Right. But then what, what happens with a, a, a vast majority of investors is there's nowhere to turn to, to get really good information from a live person. That's a professional for your taxes and for your real estate without having to pay a bunch of money for it because you end up having to like pay $300 an hour to attorney or CPA to be able to get that. So um, what our model is looking at is saying like, what's the 99% of questions that I can train my staff on that I know that so that way all of them become, you know, close to the level of knowledge I have. So that way people can have a resource that they can turn to to say, I just have to pick up the phone or shoot an email to get an answer to this instead of having to turn to like an online form or crowdsourcing information or, or reading confusing articles online. I think ultimately that's what we're trying to do is say like, we can be the information source for you on these topics that you're coming up with. So you don't have to like go venture out into the wilderness, hoping that you're going to find the right answer and do it correctly. Okay. And how much does it cost to set up this series LLC? Is that where you usually, by the way, is that where you usually start with people? Is that sort of the first thing you create for them usually? Yeah. Most people actually need holistic kinds of support, right? Like they're usually, most people are saying, Hey, I got like, you know, a few assets, three, you know, three to five, you know, some have 10, some, some of my clients have up to 200. Right. Um, and, and they're saying, well, I got them all in my personal name now. What do I, what should I do? And so we, we look at it as a two company structure. One company is going to have is your series LLC. That's your asset holding company owns everything, but doesn't actually do anything out in the world. We have separate company, completely separate LLC that turns into an operating company. Stop, stop there for a second. Okay. So yeah. I, I just want to, I just want to uh, tell people why I think you're talking about that, okay? And just, just stop me if I'm wrong. The asset holding company isn't, you don't want that company operating. In other words, if it's engaging in operations, it's going to create some liability for itself versus just holding assets. Uh, most, you know, well, it's a lot, I don't want to say mostly or whatever, <laughs> you know, could be wrong, but it's less likely that just holding assets will create liability. I guess it could happen, but if it's operating, there's definitely chances to create liability, right? If you're engaging in a business of renting property or uh, selling property or doing whatever, uh, the operating company has the high liability potential, right? And the asset holding company has the lower liability potential and it holds more of the the assets, right? Is that why you? A hundred percent. Yeah. You, you nailed it right on the head, Jason. It has to do all everything with legal liability, which is you can only get li- legal liability if you touch somebody in some way. Right. 
Um, and I don't mean that in a creepy way. I mean it like you have to talk to them. You have to, <laughs> right. you have to actually engage with them in some way, right? And yep. so the best way that we can engage with people is actually from what corporations have been doing for years is through shell corporations. So you, like what I'm recommending for investors to do is to say, establish your own shell corporation. Have that be your leasing company. Enter into contracts through it. Hire contractors through that. Hide, compartmentalize all of your money and your assets out of your name. Put it into this other company where it's sheltered from you. So okay. if anybody sues you, they either get blocked by the shell corporation or they sue you and you don't own anything. So there's nothing there for them to take. Okay. Now wait. So when you say shell corporation, that sounds unethical or illegal. It, it sounds wrong. Can you define shell corporation? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, that's a really common misconception, right? Because we hear it a lot about um, that in like movies and we're like, oh, this is the evil people <laughs> doing shell corporations and what are they doing? A shell corporation is just a, a, a company that you establish that uh, doesn't own anything. So we call it a shell corp because it doesn't own anything. Um, and it's a very, very common practice um, that that any sophisticated, you know, uh, type of business runs where they have the operations, which is all of their points of contact in their face of the world goes through a company like an LLC or a C corporation. Um, but that company won't own anything. So it's would, would another name for that be a special purpose vehicle an SPV. I've heard that, uh, before, you know, like that, that SPV, uh, holds, you know, the operations or, you know, or I don't know what, tell me about. Sure. That. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, all of the, what, what the lawyers are getting at is that um, it should be an entity that doesn't own anything, but it's engaging in all of the transactions. Right. And that's probably like branding purposes, right. Cause people get like, Ooh, shell corporation um, into it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of names that people use to describe the same, the, the same thing with that. Okay. All right. So. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I, interrupted you a couple of times. So I want to make sure you get all those questions. Uh, so what else is there? Um, yeah, well, typically we're doing the asset holding company. We're doing the shell corporation. We make it where the shell corporation is owned by um, your estate plan as part of your living trust. So that way all of your assets avoid probate. They don't get caught up in a court proceeding when you die. Um, and which is really bad for real estate because then for a period of time, nobody can actually control those assets until it's determined by the court who gets to do that. With trust, you completely avoid that. It immediately passes. Um, and then you never have an estate plan that goes out of date because all of your assets are going in and out um, out of the company level throughout your entire life. Mm -hmm. um, and then your estate plan never goes out of date, which is really different than most people. Most people are trying to hold assets directly inside of their living trust where it's like the Bob Jones living trust 2018 or whatever. But like come to find out that Bob hasn't titled every single thing in his life into the trust, which it has to be for it to even work at all. So mm -hmm. we set up the living trust and then, you know, negate that step of it. Yeah. So uh, that's, well, a living trust is just for estate planning. That won't do 100%. any asset protection, right? Doesn't, doesn't do any asset protection. It's just for estate planning. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the asset protection pieces that come into play is with the series LLC that compartmentalizes all the assets from liability. And then we use anonymous trust structures, which are free to create and have no yearly maintenance to them to create the anonymity. So then nobody can find out what company Jason owns or what, um, what the assets of that company are because they're hidden behind trusts and the company and the trust all relate back to Scott Smith and uh, my law firm. And so then all of the information is then protected by the attorney-client privilege. Now, is that a land trust? Is that the same type? Is that the type of trust you're talking about? Yeah. So you'll have a, a land trust that's at the very bottom of the structure that owns the act, holds title to the actual piece of real estate. 
and the land trust is then in turn owned by the series LLC. The series LLC is actually in turn owned by another trust, right? Which is just a, a an, an anonymous trust, right? Um, and and that's the way you're able to to mask the records with it. Some people you will use Wyoming LLCs for that purpose. Um, the only reason I use trusts is because the trusts are free to create and they have no maintenance. Where a Wyoming LLC has some some fees attached to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, when you're talking about a trust, not a land trust, but a, a what a real trust, is that the name for it? Well, there's only really two types of trust. There's okay. revocable and there's irrevocable trust. All okay. the trusts we're talking about are, here are, are revocable, revocable trusts. Okay. So but, what, what do you ever talk about it? Do you ever do an irrevocable trust? You only use ever would be using an irrevocable trust as for an estate planning purpose to be able to dispose of assets before you die. So you can start capturing um, to, to avoid estate planning or estate taxes with it. Um, but you would never during your, while you're underneath that $11 million threshold as an individual, you would only want to use revocable style trusts for your estate plan, um, like your actual living trust. Um, and as well as your land trust, because what you want to accomplish is pass through tax treatment. And you're only using trusts for the pur- for our purposes is to create anonymity. Um, you're not using them for the um, for any type of actual protection. The actual protection gets generated by the LLC itself. Oh, okay. So I, I've heard some people talk about getting an irrevocable trust and uh, using that for asset planning purposes. Is that not something you do or recommend? Yeah, you can, right? It, so your living trust is a revocable trust that you'll use when you're un, like at $11 million or lower in terms mm-hmm. of total net worth because you're below the, the the tax threshold. Once you get above that, then there's strategies that you'll start using with irrevocable trusts um, to help you with uh, getting below the the tax thresholds, you know, once again, right? Because you're, you're, you're doing some tax sheltering at that point, but that really only applies for people that are above that $11 million threshold and net worth. Goes with okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. What else do people need to know? Um, well, that's really um, it in terms of what our core pieces that we do, Jason. I, I wanted to, um, I know that we're just about, you know, out of time here and I wanted to, to touch base with um, everybody here um, about what your experience has been as, sure. you know, like what's like, as like, what are the really key movers that you've come across from the legal perspective? It says like, all right, if you could only really focus on, you know, these three major things as an investor, this is actually how you get 80% down the field in terms of looking at what your legal and, and um, situation needs to be looking like. Yeah. Well, first, just good insurance, you know, really pay attention to insurance. Uh, I, I've learned that you really need to do that. I've been burned by a couple insurance companies over the years. And, uh, you know, insurance companies love to collect premiums. They don't like to pay claims. Uh, these insurance policies are very complicated. There's a lot of clauses in there. There's a lot of weasel clauses. And, um, and so have good insurance. I'd say that's the first thing. Um, you know, uh, the privacy aspect that you've talked about is probably the first uh, step in the whole process is having some privacy. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, doing the stuff that, that you talked about earlier. Um, and I tell you, the liability does not come from where you think it comes. I'll give you an example. Um, I was in a, uh, a real estate deal years ago, and I uh, brought in action against the seller because the seller defaulted on the contract in a whole bunch of ways. There's a whole bunch of things they didn't disclose. And it had an arbitration clause. And I think arbitration is largely a scam. Uh, You know, we all are taxpayers 
and we pay to have a court system. And, you know, the law, I, I got to tell you, I love the law. The law is the, it's the foundation for civilization. If we didn't have rule of law, we would all be barbarians, right? But these arbitrations, these private arbitrations act really outside of the law. They're sanctioned by the law, but the arbitrator doesn't have to actually follow the law. And, um, and that's what's really, really scary about it. They're like a private kangaroo court. Uh, they're confidential. Um, you know, there's no public record. Uh, I see you smiling over there. So I'm going to private anger to court. Look at 100%. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. In, 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 yeah. in, look at things should be on the record and um, uh, people should be able to go and, and find out, you know, what happened here. So uh, these people, use these arbitrations and they hide behind uh, things and you can't figure out their record. And so I took this company, the seller to arbitration and come to find out the arbitrator had an undisclosed, very serious conflict of interest. And he never disclosed this. He was a lawyer at a law firm, a big law firm. And he was a partner, not only a lawyer that working there, he was a partner in the firm. So he was an owner of the firm. And guess what? His firm, represented the, the, uh, a company owned by the seller. And he never disclosed that. So get, get this, I lose the arbitration. They get a judgment against me. Remember, I was the plaintiff, okay? I was the one asking them to pay me money. I wanted a return of my deposit because they defaulted on the contract and didn't disclose a bunch of things, right? So then they dummy up these fake legal bills and they, they were just so fake, unbelievable. They get a judgment against me and uh, then they try and collect the judgment. We do some investigation and we find out that the arbitrator was basically, you know, his, the, the other side was his client in essence, right? And he didn't disclose that. He just didn't feel he needed to tell us about that. You know, <laughs> unbelievable. And, uh, and so uh, then they try to collect. And they collect about $3,000 from one of my bank accounts. You know, I never had a, a judgment where, you know, I was never in a collection before. It's my one and only time. Uh, and uh, they collect 3000 bucks. And then I start investigating harder. And I find out about this conflict of interest. And they stopped trying to collect. And they haven't since. It's been several years. But it's still hanging out there, right? And... Um, I don't know, you know, what'll happen. Uh, it, someday, you know, they could try and collect again, but we filed papers with the court. See, after arbitration, it goes to court. So now it's on the public record and I love that, right? Because we filed papers telling about the scam and the conflict of interest and how the other side didn't even need a lawyer. The arbitrator was their lawyer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and so this is, this is the kind of thing people don't realize the liability doesn't come from where you think it's going to come. Here I was the plaintiff and I thought, I'm not going to have liability. I'm the one asking them to return my deposit on the real estate deal because they defaulted. But, you know, they dummy up a bunch of fake legal bills and they get an arbitrator who has a conflict of interest undisclosed and uh, he rules in their favor before we even have an arbitration. Yeah. He basically threw the case out. We didn't even have an arbitration. There's no court reporter. There's no public record. There's nothing. It's a, it's a kangaroo court. It's like, it's like being in, uh, you know, North Korea, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's a total scam. So well, liability it, it does not come from where you think it's going to come. Yeah, it really it, does. But, but, yeah. but Scott, one more thing, let me tell you yeah. about that. That's interesting. Okay. So I remember talking with their collection attorney. 
And this blew my mind. It's really pretty scary. You know, you think Google and Facebook know everything about us, and of course they do, and that's very scary, the world in which we live. But this collection attorney says to me one day, as they're trying to do the collection, I'm actually having a conversation with him. And he says, I know you have $220,000 in XYZ Bank. I don't want to say the name of the bank on the, on the record here. Uh, but he said, I know you've got it in there, but I can't get to it because it's in an LLC. <laughs> Isn't that good? Uh, but, but how, you know, I'm thinking, how did he know that I had that account in that LLC, in that bank. I, he, he knew the exact balance of my bank account in this LLC I had. And I thought, you know, he, he's got to have someone working at the bank that gave up that information. That is, whoa, that is really weird, really scary. So, yeah. 100%. I mean, that's why like uh, most all lawsuits and most of this game actually comes down to information. Like mm -hmm. people think lawsuits, number one, people think lawsuits is about truth and honesty. <laughs> Throw that way out the window. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely yeah. not, right? And Get then people are like, there's, there's it's not the, about truth and honesty. It's about no lawyers and how yeah. good the lawyers are about twisting no. the facts and law. I was like, no, oh, yeah. that's close. That's yeah. closer, but that's not it either. It's actually 100% decided on who has what information and what leverage, yeah. right? Totally. Because Scott, like, they, yeah. they used it, you know, the old saying, uh, that they said about Elvis Presley. Elvis has left the building. Yeah. In 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 the legal system, the truth has left the building. It yeah. has almost nothing to do with the truth. It has almost nothing to do with who's wrong or right, who's moral and just, or who's not. It is the whole system is totally just messed up. Um, and I, you know, I talked to you about my startup business, a real passion project called freecourt.com that I developed to try and overcome some of these things and give people a way to solve disputes online for free, uh, freecourt.com. So, uh, you know, we should talk about that more, but yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. It, it, it just, it's so unfair. It, it's just, a, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk to you um, on, we should do like another episode sometime and talk more about freecourt.com yeah. and how people can be going with that because that could be really interesting yeah. in terms yeah. of like, is it like a, almost like as a basic setup of that, like an online type of like arbitration with like a panel? No, no, it's not arbitration. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, like, it seems like you hate arbitration. So yeah, yeah. Like, not a fan. No, yeah. what it is, is it's an online court system modeled after the American system. So it's kind of the same procedure, but it's free. So this is just, you know, my gift to humanity, right? Maybe it'll turn into a business. I don't know. I've never made a dime off it. I'm just, uh, just in the process of launching it. And what it is, is people go, both sides present their case rather than typical hit and run manner where you see reviews on Yelp or all these fake, you know, consumer sites out there. They're mostly a scam. Um, both sides have a chance to tell their story. And the crowd, the general public, gets to be the jury, and they get to vote. And there's no money involved at this point. There might be someday where people put money into an escrow account and, and let the crowd decide, but we've got to make sure that those, those crowd jury votes are legit before we can ever do that. And that's a, that's a pretty hard process, but we're working on it. And, um, wow. and the crowd decides, and it just gives people a litmus test for their case as to, you know, maybe, maybe they can avoid going to court and settle right? Which is probably the best thing anybody can do in a, in a, in a lawsuit is settle. Um, and, and lawyers say a settlement is where both parties are mutually disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, in 95% of cases end up settling, right? It just, oh, yeah. 
dollar dollar amount you end up settling for is usually most of the negotiation. Yeah. Um, unless you can you can stomp the lawsuit and its tracks onto that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, Jason. Well, yeah. that's, that's great, man. I, I want to say thanks for coming on the show um, here today and sharing a little bit about your experience here. And I hope everybody goes to check out uh, thefreecourt.com and just see the work that you're doing there. Like that's some, that's some high level work guys um, to, uh, to pull together. Hey, something. Hey, yeah. Can I, can I just give out my regular website for my real yeah, estate? Company absolutely. Real quick? Yeah. That's just yeah. my name. It's jasonhartman.com. Jasonhartman.com. Free court is my passion project. Uh, just as a kind of a gift to humanity, possibly, who knows, we'll see how it all works out. Uh, but uh, jasonhartman.com is my real estate business. So yeah. Absolutely. And Jason, who, like, what types of investors are you looking to connect with? Um, well, we mostly have, uh, you know, middle and upper middle class investors that are buying mostly single family homes in good linear prudent markets around the country that we research and recommend. Uh, we have software to support them with their investments. And uh, I have a very, very popular podcast that's been running for 14 years. It's called The Creating Wealth Show. And you can find that uh, on iTunes or whatever podcast platform. Just search Jason Hartman, you'll find it. That's awesome, Jason. And I think you have some events coming up here soon, don't you? Yes, we do. And we have an event that you may well be speaking at. <laughs> and that is our, uh, our first time we're having an event in Hawaii, uh, which has just recently been voted the happiest state in the union. So uh, you can come in November to Hawaii. Uh, and, uh, and we have a two-day conference there uh, called Profits in Paradise. So that'll be a neat event. Uh, first time we've ever done an event in Hawaii and uh, a two-day conference there. Uh, and there's an airfare war where airfare is very inexpensive to Hawaii right now. So go to jasonhartman.com and all the information for that Hawaii event is there. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And I got sold on this uh, when Jason told me, he said, hey, Scott, come down, um, talk, talk at this uh, event that you got, uh, that we got going on. And uh, why don't you budget a couple of days for vacation? And I was like, I'm yeah. sold. I'm sold. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's great. Absolutely. A lot I of people are bringing their families away. Making yeah. a vacation out of it, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's such a great idea, Jason. I hope everybody comes um, and checks it out and checks out the jasonhartman.com website, um, checks out what you got going on in uh, Hawaii. I think it'll be a great uh, experience. I've checked it out, guys. It's, it's going to be some really high-quality information there um, to up your real estate game. Um, so, Jason, thanks for, for coming on the show. And everybody, of course, I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We'll see you guys again here soon. That's all for this Best Deal episode, and I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary Best Deal could be your next one, so keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.